we are recording. Welcome to May 29th, 2020. The great pandemic continues. The great pandemic. I like that. How'd everyone hold up this week? Same as last week. Funny enough. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, everything is pretty much the same. As Adam always says, same shirt, different day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We were going back and looking through it, some of the, the coverage and the stories, and it was it was so odd because I, we went we went back and we looked at like some of the first stories that we did that first week, and there was that weekend where all the kids came to Southampton College, and <clears throat> and I was looking at, at those stories and go, oh, that was so long ago, and it really wasn't. It was two months ago, and it just it feels like it feels like forever. Remember, people were panicking. Oh my gosh, they're going to have kids who are traveling in Europe, quarantine at the college. We're all going to die. Right. It's sort of funny. I also remember that first week too, and suddenly it was like our round and about section, which always has tons of activities, just fell off a cliff. It was like Roadrunner going over the edge, just done. Yeah. I remember when we had the conversation, should we start listing cancellations? Maybe cancellations is something we should start keeping track of. Little did we know. And there were schools were doing, you know, three-day cancellations to, uh, to clean, that type of thing. You know what? It's sort of become the ultimate snow day. It is. And the, the elongation of time has yes. been the most intriguing thing of this because it really, it really has, you, you, you hit on it. it. It's hard to imagine that this has all just been, what, two, little over two months, basically. It feels so much longer. Yeah, I haven't seen any of you for a very long time. And speaking of who you are, we have Joe Shaw. Go ahead, introduce yourself, Joe. That's me, Joe Shaw. And what do you do for a living? <laughs> I'm a bus driver. Uh, I always wanted to be a bus driver. It seemed like that would be a fun job. Uh, I'm executive editor. And then we have Bill Sutton, who is? A, a part-time Uber driver, which is almost like being a bus driver, although I haven't driven Uber and in two and a half months and have uh, no real desire to get back to it anytime quick. I'm the managing editor and director of digital media. And we have Brendan J. O'Reilly. And Brendan, what do you do? I'm the features editor and chief bottle washer. <laughs> <laughs> and a really good gardener, as I can tell by your Facebook pages. It, it's all a show. All those photos are staged. <laughs> Stock images. My garden is like two square feet and people think that I have this luscious farm in my backyard. It's a deep fake, right? <laughs> exactly. Uh, you, have, <clears throat> you have fresher vegetables than I have, Brendan. <laughs> and I am Annette Hinkle. I am the arts and living editor at 27 East um, and the Express News Group, which includes the Sag Harbor Express and the Southampton Press and the East Hampton Press. Am I forgetting any of our of our empire 27east.com the express magazine sagharborexpress.com all right we just we just took up our 20 minutes that's so. it we're done see you, right. see you next that's week that's it it's a wrap <laughs> so i guess the big news this week is we are now in phase one is that right yes and i i think um it, it wasn't a surprise we kind of knew it was coming and and it was um it was interesting how they said yeah you're going to be ready on wednesday and just on wednesday we hit those metrics um, according to the chart the state puts out. So that was, uh, that was convenient. Wow, science works. <clears throat> yeah, they, they knew. Um, so the question then becomes, you know, when do we go to stage to phase two and phase three and all that? And, and I guess that's kind of up in the air. They're, they're, 
the the general guideline is two weeks, but it could be quicker or it could be longer depending on what happens with the number of cases and all that. And I guess the governor can come in and and um, and make it go a little quicker or a little slower. And I think there's some local control over that too, the regions. Brendan, how does phase one change our lives, do you think? So there's some thought that it doesn't change too much. Uh, there's curbside retail is now permitted. There's also this explanation of uh, you could pre-order something and pick it up inside a store. So you don't have to like be standing on the curb and having them pass it through the doorway to you as long as you pre-ordered it. But what you're not allowed to do is to go into a store and browse. So even though curbside retail is something that's supposedly new this week, you've probably seen a lot of businesses have been offering curbside retail anyway. So it's one of those things that's new in phase one, but not new at all. Uh, wholesale trade is one of the things that's listed. Uh, manufacturing is listed. Not a lot of manufacturing or wholesale trade is happening on the East End specifically, but uh, they're here. And now we watch the transmission rate and see if they make a difference. And the construction's back. I noticed on my street, suddenly the house that's been under construction for a few months is lined. The street is lined with cars and trucks on both sides of the road. So they're back at it on that. And the charter charter fishing boats I hear too are... Um are rolling out now. I think that was included. You know, one of the things people, a lot of people ask me about is how have places like um, Target and Home Depot just continued to be open this entire time um, and Walmarts and that kind of thing. And um, it seems like the big box stores were able to do a lot of things that other businesses weren't. Do we know why that is? We have an answer for that? Groceries. Groceries is why Target and Walmart are open. Home Depot is obviously not selling groceries but still essential because if something breaks in your house you can't wait two months to get it uh home depot could definitely be an emergency situation i mean i've been to home depot and bought some things that aren't aren't emergencies you see a lot of people out there on facebook saying where can i buy mulch so clearly uh, a lot of non-emergency trips to the garden center or to the home goods store or uh, home depot i should say or lowe's for that matter but if you really think about it like if you ha need to fix your sink there's no waiting two months we, we couldn't uh survive this long if we closed down the home depots and the lowe's and the hardware stores and i i have to i have to say that i've been out very little and i have made the trips to home depot for mulch and things like that as well but one of the, the reassuring things to me is that people really are observing the rules. Um, I, as I had said, I had gone to, to Home Depot for a trip um, and was there for a little while. And the mask wearing in the store was 100%. I didn't see a single person without a mask. Everybody was very cordial and very giving you, giving you your space. Uh, I, I think one of the great things about our last press session that we held last week, um, we talked about this, and, and even the medical experts are saying now that with those precautions, businesses should be able to open up safely. It should, it should be okay. And even in phase one, I think it, it, it shouldn't mean a step backwards. We should be able to do this safely. And uh, I, this region seems to be adapting to the new realities pretty well compared to others. I've, I've heard anecdotally that the city isn't great, that people aren't really following the rules so much in the city. But I really do think there are always exceptions here, but uh, for the most part, people are following the rules. 
Well, I think you'll find in a Home Depot or a Costco that nobody's going to dare take off their mask because they'll get thrown right out of the store. You know, Costco, you have to show your uh, ID card to get in and prove you're a member, but they also have huge signs up that say no admittance without a mask, which is the law. It is mandatory, but you can't just get inside the store and then rip your mask off and and laugh it off because the employees will throw you out as there was a viral video out of Las Vegas uh, where a man got inside the store, did all of his shopping. And then when he tried to check out without his mask on and refused to put it back on, they just took his cart and said, you could go home now. We'll hang on to your stuff. Did you see the video of the group in the market in uh, Brooklyn with the, the mob of citizens who basically shamed a woman out of the store who wasn't wearing a mask? That was uh it was a little over the top and not not exactly the best way to handle that, I think. But I find it intriguing that that's, that's sort of the way. Um, it, because, and again, I, to me, it's amazing to me how few people really get that you're wearing a mask to protect others. You're not wearing it to protect yourself. The mask does not help you very much when you're out there, but it's about protecting others. I think on the evening news they, the other night, they did a, a little video piece about a store somewhere in the heartland where they would not allow you in the store if you were wearing a mask. They were taking the other tact. Masks not welcome. So that's what we're up against in this country. I mean, talk about a little bit of a it's just ridiculous differential in opinions, right? Well, and to Joe's point, I, I mean, I hate to see anybody shamed. I think that's a little over the top, but it is going to be about self-policing too. It's going to be about everybody getting together and, and making sure that that we're all doing, you know, the the right thing. Mask or non-mask are becoming more of a political statement. Like if you know how there's certain issues wherever you come down sort of indicates where you are in the spectrum and I feel like mask wearing versus non-mask wearing is more and more starting to define what um sort of political leanings you have, which I think is the most bizarre thing ever. Nobody should be politicizing it. That's the problem. One of our 27 East commenters uh this morning posted a link to um, make America great face masks and they're everything that you would expect them to be. You have holes in them? <laughs> you would, yeah, you would, you would imagine, right? Um, I took it down because it was a link, but I thought it was, uh, was really interesting just to make that statement. Wow. Anything to get people to wear masks. Yeah. If that works, right? I had posted something on social media that the, the experts say that the masks are about 60% effective. And if 80% of the people wear them, we could conquer this thing. And so I've begun to look at it this way. There's room for, for one out of five people to take whatever political statement they want to make and not wear a mask. If they feel like they want to do that, then they can do that. The 80% of us who are wearing masks can still conquer this thing, even if they're not willing to come along. So I think that's, that's the way we have to look at it. I think you're not going to get 100% and some people have some pretty twisted ideas about why wearing a mask is is not a good idea. I don't think any of them are rooted in reality right now, quite honestly. No, they're not rooted in reality. You have people that think that if you wear a loose-fitting cotton mask over your face, that you're going to be oxygen-deprived, which there's no evidence for. If there was, all of our nurses and doctors would have brain damage because they wear masks constantly. And then there's people who think that if you wear a mask, you like activate the germs that are in your body and make yourself sicker because you're keeping the germs from your body on your face. And I don't understand the logic behind that because if the germs are already in your body, what 
what is getting them on your face do? <laughs> what do they think is happening? But people will just believe anything if they see it on Facebook and they'll set aside reality uh, just because they prefer conspiracy to uh, going along with what everybody else is doing in the interest of public health. Fortunately, as I said, the, the reassuring thing to me is that most people in this area seem to be to be getting it. And there are exceptions. Brendan, you wrote about one of the exceptions this week of uh, someone who went into a local deli and made an issue out of not wearing a mask. But I think those are the exception to the rule and they stand out because they're the exception. I think you just need to remember too, there, there's extreme cases, but I think people are just really frustrated at this point and, and you have to kind of um, you know, give people a little leeway. It's been a long time uh, that people have been, you know, living with the new normal and, and you start to get frustrated and that just comes out in weird ways and you need to just, just be patient with people, I think. So what's the situation with the beaches out here? That seemed to be like kind of a big issue over Memorial Day, right? Yeah, speaking of not being patient. <laughs> yeah, that's sort of the, that was a great segue. Thank you for offering that up. Yeah. So what happened out here? Well, I, I think it was a it was a simple thing that that just blew up on on its own, and and there were um, a bunch of fishermen and and families that couldn't get onto the beaches in in New York, and somehow it got posted on social media sites that you could come out here to North Sea and other areas, and there were no parking restrictions or other restrictions, and you could go fishing, and people wanted to come out and go fishing and get some fresh air. Um, which, as the supervisor, uh, Jay Schneiderman, pointed out, is kind of a, a tradition out here. But I think it was just too many people and it got too out of control and, and people didn't know what to do with their, with their garbage and, and were making other messes and stuff. And, it, and people got nervous about that, rightfully so, I think, if we're worried about social distancing and, and that wasn't happening there. So it became a big brouhaha. And, and I think, uh, you know, eventually... Uh, the supervisor just had to kind of shut down the beaches to non-residents. He, he issued a, an executive order and it, he renewed that um, this morning for, for another five days um, just to make sure that those, those crowds weren't there. But it, I, I think it got a little crazy. I think, too, this is the kind of story that like places outside of our area latch on to, you know, the whole Hamptons thing, right? Hellish, hellish weekend. Um, I, I saw that on at least four different uh, news outlets, some local, some not local. And I think Jay Schneiderman, again, the supervisor, had, had said that in, in, a, in, a, in a statement um, that he had released. He had used the word hellish, but everybody jumped on that because anytime you can have hellish and Hamptons in the same headline, then um, that's sure to, sure to get some clicks on the website. I think that's a bumper sticker, hellish Hamptons. <laughs> hellish Hamptons. There you go. Well, apparently the Hamptons was on Inside Edition last night. Did you hear that? No. Was it hellish? So uh, there have been a... St <laughs> uh, well, this was a story that I ended up writing about, uh, but the first person that brought it to the media's attention was Doug Koontz, and it had been on CBS, and uh, I think it was in like the New York Post. And I ended up uh, touching on this particular case in a broader story about the eviction moratorium. So there's a house in Sag Harbor where this couple that lives in lower Manhattan uh, rented it out for the winter for a winter rate. They planned on using it for themselves for the month of May. And then they plan on renting it out for Memorial Day to Labor Day as a seasonal rental to one 
one family for the entire season making, you know, $25,000 or whatever they were going to make. So instead, their tenant just never left when he was supposed to. But he also has two dogs that destroyed the irrigation system, destroyed the rugs, destroyed the fence, destroyed the furniture, destroyed the lawn. Uh, windows are broken in the house. Uh, and this is a house from the 1800s. So you're talking about original windows that are pretty much irreplaceable. Uh, and cabinet doors ripped off, bathroom doors ripped off, holes. So this house was completely wrecked. And the guy's excuse is, well, you can't get rid of me because there's an eviction moratorium. There's nothing you could do. That eviction moratorium is in place until August 20th. The extension of the moratorium, which originally was going to expire on June 20th, uh, now that extension includes that it's not just an uh, eviction moratorium for any reason. It's an eviction moratorium if you are on unemployment or you are affected by the COVID crisis. You can't just be somebody that has money and decides, I'm not going to pay my landlord because there's nothing my landlord could do about it. And it's also not a rent holiday. The governor did not waive your rent. So if you live in a house for four months just because you can't be evicted and you don't pay rent in those four months, by the time you are evicted, you're going to owe all that back rent. At which rate, I wonder? Yeah, that's the question. That's a huge question that I'd like to get to the bottom of and something that I don't know that uh, the law really spells out because they passed the Housing Stability and Tenant Protection Act of 2019 which was huge housing reform and it affected the seasonal market because seasonal rentals uh, were apparently under the same law. Assemblyman Fred Thiel argues that uh, the housing law, that section of law always deals with people's permanent housing, not their vacation housing. But he wants to clarify that reform so that housing rentals for under 100 days or 100, uh, or 100 and change uh, will be excluded from the law. So you can't say, um, you know, I have the right to be here for 30 days or 90 days until you can evict me. Like all these ideas that are in place to protect people in their permanent housing. Uh, he doesn't want people to try to use those to stay in their vacation house for months on end without paying. You know, what's interesting is we talked about this, uh, the rental law from last year in an express session back in the winter, well before COVID was even an issue. And a lot of the people said this summer, was going to be a worst case scenario that you'd see some of these, you'd see some people taking advantage of the new rental law. It made it much harder to evict people out of a rental. And some people raised the specter of people using that to take advantage of a rental for summer rentals. And that was before the added layer of the virus and the, the protections for that. So it's kind of interesting that we are starting to see at least the very rare occasion where that is happening. That's something that they had worried would be happening. And how do you get people out? Like what legal recourse does this family have watching their house get destroyed? You know, the courts have been inactive for several months. I, I mean, even on a, in a good time frame, getting someone out of a house for an eviction takes several months. Yeah, Brendan, in New York, the, the laws are very strongly protective of the tenants, are they? They've been, especially in New York City, but because of the 2019 housing reform, a lot of those protections afforded to people in the city uh, now have implications statewide. So it, it's much harder to evict people now. And the thought was that the law was going to be bad for the summer market because you used to get, you know, tens of thousands of dollars up front for the summer. And if somebody decided that they were going to go to Europe in August instead of staying on Meadow Lane in August, you still had your money. So if they wanted to have an empty rental house in August that they paid for, 
that's no skin off the nose of the landlord. Now that person might give you a check to move in in June, give you another check for July, and then decide, I don't want to stay here in August, so I'm just not going to give him a check and I'm going to leave. And now you have a landlord that has an empty house that he can't rent and he's losing that income for August because it's too late. Of course, this year is different because now Hampton's rentals are in such high demand that if your tenant left, you could rent it out by the next day. But that was the fear. But now we're seeing the opposite side of it, which is that you might have a winter renter who's supposed to get out so you could get your summer renter in for May and your winter renter might take months to evict. And then by the time you evict them, you're into next winter. And getting that money back is not an easy, um, not an easy feat, I would imagine. I mean, you could certainly pursue it in civil court, but. And the local cops have no jurisdiction. They can't do anything to help get people out of houses, right? It's really considered a civil matter. And on the other side of it, if your landlord tries to forcibly remove you uh, or like change the locks on you, now your landlord could be charged with a misdemeanor. Yeah. The fallout from all this is uh, we, we sort of anticipated there would be some. Nobody anticipated the last couple of months. I think it's just exacerbated the problems. It'll be interesting to see if the state, the, the state legislature takes this back up again this year and tries to fix some of these issues because it very clearly had an impact well beyond what they thought that measure would have. And it's pretty clear that the seasonal rental market wasn't taken into consideration with those, with that legislation. Oh, they always forget about us here on the east end of Long Island, don't they? You know, one of the things with the COVID moratorium is if you were here in a winter rental and then in March or April, uh, you're nearing the time when you're supposed to get out and the governor says, you can't kick people out, there's a moratorium. You kind of do have the right even though you had the understanding that it was a winter rental, you're now in a position where you really have nowhere to go. You're not going to go move into uh, you know, a crammed share house full of 20 employees illegally sharing a house the way that you normally would in the summer before you go back to your winter rental where you have maybe a studio or a two-bedroom or something like that. So those people have nowhere to go, and that's who the eviction moratorium was designed for. And then the landlords who thought that they were going to turn that into a summer rental were out of luck. It, we're actually kind of seeing less abuse by people who only moved in for this for one month of the summer and were paying the top rate for the summer and then said, well, I'm going to stay another month, even though I'm not supposed to. If you agreed to pay 15000 to stay there in June and then you overstay into July, you're going to owe 15000 for July. So that's why you see that happening less with the summer people who are paying the premium rates. So do we need a wrap up or do we just let it end? Brendan, I think you have to go, right? I have to go listen to uh, County Executive Steve Ballone for his daily briefing on the COVID crisis and how the county's coping. Well, there you go. So it continues. You have to go monitor to see when we can get into phase two, the next chapter. So haircuts is phase <laughs> two, right? That's two weeks. I don't know that one offhand. I'm going to need a sheep shearer by the time this is over. If that doesn't happen, how about if I come over with some really long like head shears and I'll just cut. I'll take it. I'll take it right now. Don't, don't tempt me. That's no joke. (laughs) Come over with any cutting implement that you have and just cut this mop off my head. Well, there you have it. I think that's perfect (laughs) to wrap up May 29th, 2020. The pandemic continues in the hellish Hamptons. (laughs) Are we done?